It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Saturday, January 20th, 2024. I'm Jared Halpern. On to New Hampshire, at least for the candidates. But first, what did we learn from Iowa's results? No matter how you cut it, Donald Trump dominates the Republican Party, and that's what we saw in Iowa. In Congress, kicks a spending deal further down the calendar with Republican infighting over budget cuts and a border deal. They punted uh, in September on government funding. They punted again in November on government funding, funding and now they're going to punt again. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. The results are in and more are on the way. Each contest like this week's in Iowa or the upcoming New Hampshire primary gives us not just the winner, second and third place finishes, but a better understanding of you. The voters, the Americans deciding who will lead this country for the next four years. Take, for instance, the Iowa caucuses. It was a dominating performance for former President Trump, winning nearly every single county and capturing more than 50 percent of the vote. And even in areas where the former president struggled in 2016, he found growing support this time around. That being said, opponents like his former U.N. ambassador Nikki Haley have pointed to the low turnout in Iowa. Just 15 percent of registered Republicans caucused, just over 110,000 people, fewer than the GOP caucuses in 2016, 2012 and 2008. No matter how you cut it, Donald Trump dominates the Republican Party. And that's what we saw in Iowa. Arnon Mishkin is the director of the Fox News Decision Desk and says looking into the results is giving us a better sense of where Republican preferences lie, but also showing us some red flags for all of the three major candidates remaining. And yes, you could say, well, you know, Trump got 51 percent, but anti-Trump candidates got 49 percent. Uh-uh. Because many of the candidates weren't really anti-Trump candidates. Vivek was clearly not an anti-Trump candidate. He dropped out and he immediately endorsed Trump. Mm -hmm. And his supporters were always Trump aligned but thought a younger guy would be better. And DeSantis's candidacy has always been Trump light. Um, Mm -hmm. All the policies, fewer calories or whatever you want to (laughs) assign to it. And the um, (laughs) – And so and and so the the only candidate who you could call with the sort of anti-Trump candidate was Nikki Haley. And let's face it, she only got 20 percent of the vote. Mm-hmm. So that is, you know, an indication of just how strong he is. Um, and I think the, the other thing that is, is, yes, the party is split between the faction that calls themselves MAGA and the faction that doesn't call themselves MAGA. But the party in our poll showed about two thirds of the party, at least the people who participated in Iowa, described themselves as MAGA. And so, so that's the Trump wing. Let me focus in because you said something that, that I was going to key in on, the, at least the people in Iowa. And listen, I want to disparage Iowa. It is a great state. It is a wonderful tradition of the first in the nation caucus. But Arnon, only something like 100,000 Republicans showed up for this caucus. It was pretty light turnout. The weather was miserable. I, I totally get it. And I think that there may have been a, a sense of inevitability. So how much of the Iowa results do sort of carry over into the states that are coming up? The biggest one that carries over is who got second place. 
Um, okay. And the guy who got second place was Ron DeSantis. It was not Nikki Haley. And I think that presents a real challenge for her because she wanted to make this a two-person race, young versus old, male versus female, MAGA versus acceptable to MAGA, but not quite, but very much, you know, sort of yeah. the different party that, you know, Nikki Haley, I wouldn't call her anti-Trump, but she represents the party of Reagan, the party of strong mm-hmm. defense. She does not yeah. represent the party of, of Donald Trump. Yeah, especially on foreign policy issues. Yeah. They are not aligned, um, and, and that's, which is and, notable because she was one of his top diplomats. But um. Exactly. And, and, and but, you know, I, many people thought if she finishes second in Iowa, it'll become a two-person race. But more yeah. important, she'll be seen as, as sort of young and fresh, the, the new face, and there'll be a lot of excitement around her. Um, she lo- didn't get that that was possible as they now head into New Hampshire. And so, I think that presents a challenge for her. New Hampshire, though, is always different than Iowa. I mean, you have more independent streak. It's a little bit more secular. It's different people kind of participate. And it seemed to me that Nikki Haley was always kind of hoping that New Hampshire was going to be her launching pad. It really wasn't until more recently that it looked like maybe she was picking up some momentum, gaining some steam in Iowa. So does that kind of independent streak in New Hampshire spell, in your mind, any danger or any red flags for, for Trump? Actually, I think it presents red flags for both in many respects because New Hampshire is an ideal state for Nikki Haley. She has the support of the governor. And and this is not just any governor. This is the governor who represents a two-generation political dynasty in New Hampshire, a generation, a a dynasty that is well-known for its political organization. You know, Chris Sununu's father, John Sununu, um, was governor of, of New Hampshire in 1988 when George Bush was humiliated in the Iowa caucuses, and he came back and basically John Sununu and his organization single-handedly resuscitated George H.W. Bush's candidacy for president and got him a big victory in New Hampshire. Uh, and so there's, you know, that, that, that's the, the people who are aligned with Nikki Haley. It's a state where independents and Democrats can identify as Republicans on caucus on, on mm-hmm. primary day and vote, and it is a Republican party that is generally more in New, New Hampshire Republicans are are less, if you will, Trumpy than Iowa yeah. Republicans, and less so, social conservative as yeah. well. Le- um, exactly, less social kind of more conservative. fiscally kind of much more. Well, the, I guess the, the, the disparaging are, term used to be what country club Republicans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're country club Republicans. They're military, uh, you know, sort of foreign policy Republicans. Mm-hmm. They're. I think the New Hampshire is a Reagan Republican state, if you will, and so the challenge for Trump is. Can he win there? Because if he wins there, that's the fat lady doesn't get to sing, but she's warming up if he wins in New Hampshire. <laughs> but it's also a risk for, for Nikki Haley because if you can't make it in New Hampshire, where can you make it um, for, right. you know, for her candidacy? And, you know, right now when you look at the polling, yes, they look pretty close. But, you know, with Vivex drop, uh, dropping out of the campaign and with um, uh, even and even with DeSantis still on the ballot and taking mm-hmm. some votes away from Trump. The latest polling I've seen has Trump pretty much at 50 and Nikki yep. Haley in the, still in the 30s. I mean, she may close the gap, gets wins over some of the undecided. She's clearly going to invest heavily. The Sununu organization is important, and that'll help her um, win a couple more points. But I don't, I'd be surprised if it's a big, decisive win for either candidate. Um, but I think Nikki Haley needs to win, and she needs to win fairly decisively in order to come home her home state of South Carolina and say, it's a two-person race, help the local person. 
I was going to ask about the margins here. Obviously, this was a route for Trump in Iowa. Sounds like, in your view, he doesn't need a route in New Hampshire. Uh, just the win will do. Oh, absolutely. I think if, and I think most of the sort of political establishment types are expecting him. We're, we're expecting him to lose. Uh, are expecting him to lose. And so, if he just mm. wins barely, the game is basically. I mean, that's that's wow. not good news yeah. for the challengers to Donald Trump. And if he loses by a small amount, he still comes back, goes to uh, South Carolina in a month. And in South Carolina, it's a much more Trump aligned state, yes. even though it's Nikki Haley's home state. Yeah. No, listen, he he is still significantly ahead in every poll I've seen in, in South Carolina. And it does raise the question about sort of what the path then moving forward would be. Uh, for either Nikki Haley or, or Ron DeSantis. So as we look at kind of what you do in crunching those numbers, and I know you'll you'll be invested in, in the Fox News voter analysis. So what are you going to be looking for in New Hampshire to kind of give you a sense of what kind of night it, it will be? Will it be how many independents and Democrats are turning up? Will it be kind of what issues are, are driving the electorate? I, I think the biggest question we're going to have on the when we start looking at the data on the FNBA is what percentage of the electorates calls themselves independents or Democrats um, and what percentage calls, call them Republicans. We'll also look at the percentage of people who, who say they're aligned with the MAGA movement um, mm-hmm. and are not. And we'll look to see is Nikki Haley able to make inroads into Trump's support and does she make those inroads solely because the independents and the Democrats are on are voting, or is she also making inroads just within among Republicans? Because um, one of the things we saw in Iowa from the FNVA was just the extent to which there is a block in the Republican Party that appears totally committed to Donald Trump mm-hmm. and says that they would be unwilling to vote for any candidate other than Donald Trump or any of the candidates we um, identified um, and said they wouldn't vote if they if he were not on the ballot. So we're going to look at that, see if it's as strong, see how much um, uh, how much the extent to which people think these um, indictments that Trump is, is has gotten uh, are a politically motivated investigation or a real legal investigation. One of the things that, that I noted or took note of in the FNVA of Iowa was the, the issue of immigration in the border. Uh, obviously, the economy, it's no surprise, is a major concern, inflation. Uh, but immigration in the border, even even Republican strategists who have spent their whole lives in Iowa politics have said this is an issue that has just surged over the last couple of months in, in Iowa. Are you seeing that in a state like New Hampshire as well? Um, I have not yet seen that in New Hampshire, but without question, the issue of immigration has surged as an issue among Republicans, but also among um, all Americans. Yeah. And and one of the challenges for Biden is he he wants it. It seems he wants to make a deal on the border. It's not, and and it seems that the Senate Republicans want to make a deal. It's not clear where the House Republicans are. Yeah. But if he doesn't figure out a way to address that issue, that is a major challenge heading in. in into November, particularly since the apparent most likely nominee of the Republican Party is someone, Donald Trump, who symbolizes that issue. Um, and, and, you know, that is the issue that Trump rode to the White House in 2016. And it, it it's an issue that he's uniquely suited to take advantage of. 
Well, it'll be. Uh, do you think it'll be a late night in, in New Hampshire? How, how are is New Hampshire with counting the votes? They're pretty quick. They're not no, no, New Hampshire there, is right? quick about counting the vote. Um, they, I I anticipate they'll be quick about counting the votes on the Republican side. On the Democratic side, since Joe Biden is not on the ballot and it's a write-in, I think that'll take a couple more days for them to count. But I think, um, but I anticipate that that regardless of who wins, um, we're likely to to see see uh, material vote and therefore be able to identify who won um, on Tuesday night. And they still they still start uh, up there in those uh, far north uh, hamlets. Dixville Notch. Wake up at midnight. Yep. Vote. Yep. Go back to sleep. <laughs> well, Dixon Nutshell has a little bit of a tradition. Like they they know what they're doing up there. Oh, it's a long-standing tradition, and and well, and, it, and who they pick, like oftentimes wins the whole thing. Yeah, no, there's and and it's um, <laughs> there's a big thing in in 1960 when John F. Kennedy was running. He sent personal. Um, autograph photographs to every resident, all six residents of Dixville Notch, because he wanted to get their support at midnight, and because he thought that would help beat Richard Nixon in 1960. Because you get like 18 hours of of coverage for winning these these votes, and it's it's not bad for for that Tuesday coverage, is it? You so. betcha, absolutely, because it's the only so, number we have. We'll be up. We'll watch Dixville Notch late Monday night into Tuesday morning. We'll get some rest, and then we'll do it again uh, for for the uh, rest of the state on Tuesday evening. We'll talk then. Uh, Arn in Michigan, always a pleasure. Thank you very much, Jared. Always great All to right. see you. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. If Congress were a football team, then this week they gained enough yards to get a new set of downs, but not reach the end zone. A short-term spending bill extending government funding, which would have expired last night, was approved, moving the sticks in the early March. As lawmakers in the House and Senate try to put the finishing touches on a budget deal and dole out the money to federal agencies. The play calling has not been easy for House Speaker Mike Johnson, who is facing the same pressures and dangers as the speaker he replaced, Kevin McCarthy. Fox News senior congressional correspondent Chad Pergram continues the football theme and explains why Republicans could be taking a lesson from Ray Guy. There is a lot of consternation and hand-wringing. The first thing he has going for him is that he's not named Kevin McCarthy. Uh, The second thing he has going for him is that he's not named Kevin McCarthy. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, frankly, was just not liked here. I mean, there's a reason why he did not become speaker in 2015. There's a reason why uh, he, uh, you know, took 15 rounds to become speaker in January. And the reason they are willing to give uh, Mike Johnson a little bit of a longer leash, as you say. I will say this, though. Um, you know, I think that the House Republicans are up for the Ray Guy Award in terms of how many punts that they have done here. Uh, Ray Guy, the, the former Oakland yes. uh, Raider uh, kicker, arguably the best punter in the punter, I should say, arguably the best mm-hmm. punter in the history of the National Football League. Uh, there's an award given for Ray Guy, and the Republicans would probably qualify for that because they punted uh, in September on government funding. They punted again in November on government funding, funding, and now they're going to punt again. They might have to punt again in March. And that's the problem that some Republicans, some conservatives have in particular with Mike Johnson, punting, punting, punting.
Well, that's what I was going to ask is it relates to kind of the we, we talked last week about the, this budget deal that, that was worked out between Democrats and, and uh, the speaker. Uh, does that make it easier to, to get something in place here, a, a full set of appropriations bills or an omnibus package by these uh, early March deadlines? There was just no way they were going to get this done. Extending the football metaphor here, I, I spoke to one House Republican who kind of has a, a sense of what's going on around here and said that Johnson is slow to make play calls. Uh, that mm. was, you know, Ray Guy was standing here. But the idea that they didn't do any appropriations bills in December. They didn't have any on the schedule the first week that they were back because why? They had no agreement. Why don't they have an agreement? Well, guess what, Jared? It's about the math. They didn't have the, the, you know, the, the numbers to pass these things. They don't even have, and this gets in the weeds a little bit here, what they call the 302B allocations. 302B allocations. That's where you give each of the 12 appropriations committee uh, subcommittees a spending level saying this is how big your pot is. This is how much total money you can spend in your area, whether it's defense or interior or legislative branch. Those are three of the appropriations bills right there. So they don't even have that worked out yet. And if you never had that worked out yet and you can't go to the floor with an appropriations bill, that's a problem. Can they get some of that together? Yes. I would look for them to do what we call a minibus, not an omnibus, mm-hmm. which Mike Johnson says he won't do, but maybe where they put three or four of these bills together to save time. There will be some people crow about that because, again, uh, they want this purity where they want you know the House only considering one bill at a time. Even though I thought it was interesting that the House uh, Freedom Caucus came out the other day and on the CR, because that's been part of their mantra, you know, only do bills singularly, single topic bills. But they wanted to glom on uh, to the bill a border security package, H.R. 2, essentially, which is the strict border package that uh, the House passed uh, back last spring. Um, So, uh, again, yeah, they'll probably get a few of these done. But they're probably going to have to uh, get Ray, Ray Guy back on speed dial here and punt at least on something else or do another uh, uh, maybe even a long term continuing resolution for the rest of the fiscal year. I mean, think about this. Mm-hmm. They had September 30th to do this. And here we are now pushing. This puts it to uh, March 8th. Well, That's a problem. They, they did have till September 30th, except, you know, between September 30th and now there has been a speaker ousted in the House and and they had, what, three weeks to get a new speaker in place. And so that's unprecedented turnover that that makes a lot of these matters even more complicated. Speaking of those complications, the speaker was here at the White House uh, earlier this week with congressional leaders uh, talking about what we were told. It was about Ukraine and kind of the urgent need to, to pass more Ukraine funding, but it seems clear talking to Republicans and Democrats who were in the room that there was an awful lot of discussion about border, about immigration, which has become central to unlocking the the Ukraine aid. Um, It does not seem that Mike Johnson, the speaker, is moving from his position. He wants this H.R. 2, which Democrats have rejected wholesale, uh, to be the immigration provisions. Is there movement? I know that there's been some in the Senate, but what does that mean in the House? Uh, It means it's going to be a bear to get this through the House. What it probably means in the Senate is that there is a better chance to do that. Frankly, and this is going to sound really weird, some Senate Republicans trust President Biden better on border and Ukraine and Israel, people who are all tied together in that group. You know, politics makes strange bedfellows sometimes. Then they trust some of these conservative House Republicans. This is where you have people like Roger Marshall, Republican from Kansas. I'm not going to say that he necessarily, quote, trusts 
President Biden. But he said, if we can get, and this is what he's hearing from Senator James Lankford, the Republican from Oklahoma, he said, if we can get 80 percent, 90 percent of what, uh, what we really want in this bill, he said, this is our best chance for border security. Dan Crenshaw, who's a Republican Texas representative, said on Fox, uh, you know, a couple of days ago, he said, so you mean to tell me for political reasons, you, you want more people just to come streaming across if you have a chance to actually crack down on this when that's just so you have it as a political issue. And there are some in the House and frankly, some in the Senate, but more in the House who want this more as an issue and just want it to be a Joe Biden problem and don't want to give him a win. Here's the problem. If they get it through the Senate, based on what Mike Johnson said, can they do that in the House? I spoke to a, a senior source close to the Progressive Caucus this past week who said there's no way, there's just a coalition of liberals and conservatives who won't go for this, period. It's never going to get through. I did speak with a senior House Democratic leadership source who indicated that if President Biden came out and said, I absolutely have to have that, that bill, uh, and this is the way it has to go, they could get the votes. I'm also told, though, if they passed it all together, glommed together as one package in the Senate, maybe what they'd have to do is break off the Ukraine part and do that mm -hmm. just as a Ukraine-only bill and do it via a discharge petition. This is where you go over the head of the Speaker. Uh, we've only had two of those successful in the House of Representatives in the past two decades and change now. But you go past the Speaker and you can put your own bill on the floor. And it's much easier to do that now than it was just a couple of years ago. So that's an option maybe just for Ukraine. Uh, it could be an option even for this border thing. You know, one thing I want to point out is that time and time again in this Congress, we talk about how deeply divided it is. And if you look at the polls, uh, the polar opposites on either side of, of both the House Republican Conference and the Democratic Caucus, they're way apart. But there is a yeah. big fat middle. And we've seen that on the spending bills. We've seen it on the uh, uh, debt ceiling that you can get 300 plus votes for something. Now, I don't know that they would quite get 300 votes, but they could get a big fat middle, perhaps for a, a border security package with money for Israel and Ukraine. I tell you, this is a really hard thing to do. That's why it is taking so long. And that's why when they started talking about this in December, I said, come back and talk to me about late February or early March. Hmm. And here we are. Is there a sense among Republicans in the House, especially that this is an issue worth saving for after the election. You know, maybe they believe that they, they get a better deal if uh, former President Trump were reelected. Yeah, I think that there, there are some who think that, but I think that others uh, just don't want to do it. Border security is anathema to them. Um, you know, it's kind of like the abortion issue in a way where, mm -hmm. you know, Republicans and pro-life members were able to really support things. Then you had the Supreme Court ruling and they didn't know what to do with it. And so right. it's kind of the same thing. So, well, and you saw yeah. how it animated the, the other side. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but, but there are some, you know, Republicans can't even agree among themselves about what they agree is actual border security, what it would look like. You know, there's a big fight among Republicans over Eve Verify. You know, right. some folks who are, are more libertarian Republicans view that as too intrusive and in getting your information, and others view it as uh, it's a business thing. Kevin Hearn, the chair of the Republican Study Committee, used to, you know, run a bunch of McDonald's. Uh, he'll tell you that he used that, uh, and, uh, and it works uh, very well to, you know, verify what, uh, what employees are legal, uh, have a legal status to work. So 
Again, that's the problem, uh, is that you, you can't get the Republicans to agree. And, and, and Jared, that's really the, the theme of this conference, of this Congress, of this conference and this Congress. This is why they can't agree on a speaker, mm-hmm. whether it be January or October. This is why they can't agree on how to fund the government and why Democrats put up most of the points on the board, most of the votes on the debt ceiling and the three punts that I've talked about, the interim spending bills that they've done. It's why Republicans on the the other two interim spending bills only had 127 and 126 votes out of more than 220 members there. And that number dropped way down to just 107 yays on the Republican side for the interim spending bill the other day. That tells you a lot right there. And I saw that that is the problem for Mike Johnson. There was a vote change at the end. So they had a majority of the majority I saw there. So there was even a little bit of lobbying done even after it passed. Because it would have been worse had you had more Republicans vote for right. it than uh, yeah. Democrats. I mean, that would, I mean, it's just, you know, it's a simple vote, that, 107, I mean, yeah, 106, that, but. Yeah. Yeah. So it's amazing. Let's, so as we talk about the border and this fractious Congress, it also then leads us to this Alejandro Mayorkas discussion, these impeachment hearings. Is that something that you expect to, to sort of play out here sooner rather than later, an actual impeachment of the uh, cabinet secretary? Uh, very possible if they have uh, the, their people here and they have enough votes. I mean, I think that's the key. You know, they're down operationally to a two-vote majority. The House, at the end of the week here, suddenly they have one fewer, Bill Johnson, mm-hmm. Republican from eastern Ohio, is coming to president of Youngstown State University, succeeding Jim Tressel who was the coach, uh, head coach there, coached Ohio State, then the president yeah. there. Uh, a lot of football today in our conversation. A lot here. of football. Maybe that's, maybe that's appropriate. But you get the idea that, yeah, th- th- this is something that they want to do. Uh, do they have the votes? Again, if you have like a big snowstorm in Washington or you have people yes. who are out <laughs> sick, they want to yep. do this at the very end of January, the 31st. Uh, is Steve Scalise back by then? Uh, is Steve Scalise back by then? And who else is out? You know, because this is just, you know, you, as I always say, you try to get 435 people at the same time in the same room. Uh, th- that's a problem. So, yes, they want to do it. They look like they're in better shape doing that than impeaching the president. They will probably try. And if they don't, now that they've talked about a date, if they pull back from that, that, you know, signals even bigger problems for them. And to be clear, it would be unlikely that the Senate would would do much with that. They would have to take it up if you you know, I, I've asked about this over the years because it's it's there was an instance with a federal judge in 2010. And remember covering this impeachment, a, a lower grade impeachment here. This was Samuel Kent, who was a federal judge, and he had been impeached by the House, but then he resigned. So they didn't need to have the trial. And so they they actually you know had a, a motion in the in the Senate to kind of flush that and, and get that out of the system. They would have to at least receive the articles in the Senate, go through some of the ceremonial things, and then, you know, what would Schumer do? Would he have to flush it or, or, or have a miniature trial or something? I mean, this is unprecedented. In fact, it's it's very unprecedented. Uh, you know, we've had now four impeachments of presidents, all ending in in somebody who was not convicted. Mm-hmm. We've had a lot of judges over the years, and I just mentioned, uh, you know, Samuel Kent, Thomas Porteous in 2009, who was a federal judge, former Congressman Alcee Hastings, uh, who then came to Congress. He was a federal judge back in the 80s. But the only cabinet official who has ever been impeached was William Belknap, who was the Secretary of War in 1876. So if they impeach Mayorkas, uh, he would have something in common with William Belknap. It's always about the history. All right, Chad, we will uh, 
watch the weather and we'll watch the attendance uh, next week as uh, everybody gets back here after this snowstorm here in Washington. Ray Guy led the league in punting, the NFL, three times. He had a career average of 42.4 yards per punt. We'll see if the Cowboys Republicans could have can used match them. that. Cowboys could have used them this last weekend. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, take care, Chad. Thank you. Tomorrow on the Fox News Rundown from Washington, President Biden's the strikes on Houthi fighters in Yemen will not stop until attacks on ships in the Red Sea end. And Republicans have just two more days to win primary votes in New Hampshire. Jessica Rosenthal looks at both of those big stories. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm Jared Halpern. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.